WDBM East Lansing. Welcome to Impact Exposure. Exposure is 88.9 The Impact's one-hour forum discussing relevant issues affecting the MSU community. And now, tonight's Exposure. Wes, I will be your host for the next hour talking about uh, issues and subjects relevant to MSU and the East Lansing community. Uh, my guest tonight, uh, first of all, we're going to speak with Al and Beth uh, Cafania uh, with uh, the uh, summer, stol- summer, excuse me, summer Solstice Jazz Festival. I want to thank you both for being here. Um, first of all, could you give us just a, a rundown of what the uh, Jazz Festival is all about? Well, uh, this is the 11th year we're getting it. This is the 11th year, and... Uh, we uh, started out originally one day, <clears throat> and originally, as I said, we, you started out all night to use the summer solstice thing, but then the city wanted us to come downtown. And so we started out, um, The uh, a new group of council people came in, and I was a chair of the Arts Commission, and they said they wanted a film festival and a jazz festival. Well, fortunately, Susan Wood was here. Her husband got a job here, and she'd been in San Francisco doing film festivals for about 15 years. So within a very short time, we got this great film festival going. Now, I mean, the film festival is one of the best in the States. Mm-hmm. The jazz festival has trickled along. And uh, the last year, we went to two days, and we met with uh, Mike Brandt from uh, the Wharton Center, the director of the Wharton Center, he says, you've got to think big. You know, he started Garrison Keeler with Prairie Home <laughs> Companion, Lion King, and so on. Sure. So we started thinking big. We went to two days. And then this year, now we thought big in terms of finances. We got the professors of jazz and Johnny O'Neill, Hot Club of Detroit, and we had to raise twenty or $30,000 to, to do it. Wow. And he's got a patent right now on what he calls the Great Lake Jazz Festival. And he says, we're going to evolve into what would be the best film uh, jazz festival in the state. Wow. So now you said the, the, the so we're growing really each networking. year. Nice. Very nice. Um, well, you mentioned growing. How have you seen it change? Because it's, it's, this is the 11th annual, am I correct? Right. How have you seen it change in those last uh, 10 or 11 years? Well, I said the, the most interesting <laughs> change is the first couple of years because the history of the solstice is European and it was all night. We started out meeting over at the... Uh, right at the the big rock, and then uh, Erickson Kiva, and we went all night. Mm. And so our audiences changed, so eventually it got to the point where we had to worry about people bringing b- bottles of beer oh, in. Sure. One guy got stuck someplace. We had to have a crane. He was climbing. It. And, <laughs> well, uh, our once we got to downtown and we got... Uh, we, we've, we've always featured, to some degree, people from the university, and we've had uh, uh, people from the state... Um, so the, one of the biggest differences is that um, uh, the caliber of the music that we have mm-hmm. and then going to two days. Mm. And this time we're going to have a larger tent. And, uh, Tell them where it is. Where? It's uh, uh, the, the uh, Ann Street uh, tent, uh, yeah. I mean parking lot. Uh, and it's Friday, 4 p.m., 4.30 to, to, to dark, 10.30, mm-hmm. and Saturday. Okay. So, so the, those are the two days. We have four groups each night, and uh, interludes between the sets. We have uh, students from the MSU jazz program okay. performing on those. I noticed that there's also uh, along the lineup there's a, uh, a faculty band. Is that right? Yeah, MSU MSU 
uh, professors of jazz. Wow. They're, They're a nationally known organization. Uh, uh, one of the things that made our MSU jazz program was bringing Rodney Whitaker. Rodney Whitaker was uh, Wynton Marsalis's favorite drummer. Wow. And from title. the Lincoln, from, uh, bass player from the Lincoln Center. Sure. With a short time later, Rodney brought almost all the rest of them, people from the Lincoln Center. Mm -hmm. There's only one who's sort of homegrown. That's Diego Rivera, the saxophone player. All the others are, are people who uh, Rodney brought here from the, uh, from the Lincoln Center. So the, it's, they're the most famous jazz groups in the country. And uh, there are recordings and everything, and, and they're quite expensive. Oh, I believe it. And what Rodney told me one time we were on the jazz cruise, he was playing with uh, Johnny O'Neill, the other major star that we have here. And he said, I learned a long time ago you've got to charge a lot of money when whenever somebody wants to hire you. He said, because unless they are paying you a lot of money, they won't do a lot of advertising, and you won't be a kind of gig that you want to play anyway. Sure. So he's right. We've, we've done a lot more advertising this <laughs> year as well. And then Johnny O'Neill, John O'Neill is very, he's a, a trumpet, he's a piano player and a vocalist. And he's very famous. And uh, people di didn't know he was the one, but you know the film Ray that was done just last year for Ray Charles? Sure. Well, when that film was made, Ray Charles, although he was ill, was still alive. And Oscar Peterson, the great pianist and so on, was one of the people that's in the film. And they, they asked this question, you know, some of the music will be Ray Charles recordings, but a lot of it are going to be, uh, you know, fresh recordings. And so the question is, who, who should we get to play piano? And both Ray Charles and Oscar Peterson said there's only one, that's Johnny O'Neill. Wow. He's a fantastic player. And not only does he play a lot like, say, Ray, he plays uh, all styles, from, uh, from rag, boogie-woogie, to the hot bebop. But he's also a fantastic vocalist. I mean, and you close your eyes and you think you're listening to Joe Williams. It's just a fantastic voice. Wow. And he's also a very costly sure. person to bring yeah. in. Another group that's quite a, that we're very happy to have here is the Hot Club of Detroit. Hmm. Probably the best Django Reinhardt uh, per performers in the country. Uh, they, um, we had them before, but they've got a recording out now and they're doing very well. They tour, they go to, they, they've done the, Detroit Jazz Festival twice. They've, they go to, to uh, uh, Ohio and Chicago and so on. Mm -hmm. So we've had a sort of double. We paid them. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and uh, and one of the things that the festival has always done a lot of is specialize in dancing. Oh. So now Ritmo, which is the uh, probably best uh, Cuban Latin salsa band, has a tremendous following, and th they've played every year since we've been here. Uh, and so they're going to be on Friday night, the 15th. And then for Saturday night, to have some uh, music, uh, we've got the MSU Ballroom Society, a very uh, important group right here. And so this this big band machine plays music, actually, even a lot of the very songs and some of the arrangements from the big band era. Oh. Goodman. Glenn uh, Miller and uh, folks like that. Yeah, Benny Goodman, uh, Count Basie, Duke Ellington. Uh, wow. Uh, it's just marvelous band, sounds and they like have vocalists, and they do all that kind of stuff. Certainly, sounds like you're really. Uh, there's a lot of variation. It's not just yes. you know. I mean, when when people think of jazz, it's such a, a broad term. I mean, it sounds like you're really getting every kind of, of genre. Right, and because there. of the fact that this is the year of the East Lansing Centennial, mm -hmm. we have the uh, Windjammers, a Dixieland group, 
they're going to be doing, they've done some research, and they're doing two songs that were written in 1907 by Scott Joplin, oh. two rags. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of them is the Rose Leaf Rag, and the other one is the Heliotrope Banquet. They're, they're great rags, and so they'll to celebrate the 100-year celebration of the age of the city. Oh, excellent. Wow, it sounds like that's just that's worth going on on its own, really. Um, now, I mean, as far as the festival in general, uh, how do you feel that it's important to, to East Lansing? What does it contribute to, to the city? You know, we've got now, I think it's eight festivals. Oh. And uh, when they, as I told you, when they first came in, they, they, they knew that we had a great art festival, one of, the, one of the best in the country. We have now one of the best folk festivals. We used to at one time have something called the Michigan Festival, which was supported by Oldsmobile and used to be a combination. And, well, that's been divided now into the art festival and now the jazz festival. Mm-hmm. There's eight festivals, and one of the very important things that we want to get life down in the city. Sure. And especially each of these comes in a different period of time and so on. Now, we've we've been bringing uh, over the two days about 7,000, and we think this time it might go to nine or 10,000. Mm. Um, and so... Uh, part of our advertising is some of it through Central Michigan and other places is to bring people from the outside. We have a big grant for outside advertising. So we want to have people get to know about the city. And then it's a very important fact that uh, MSU right now uh, has become probably the, the second probably important, uh, most important jazz program in the country. Really? Uh, Western uh, in the state. For a long time, Western Michigan was the main uh, jazz program. Now that we have Rodney Whitaker and we have sure. professors of jazz, uh, this whole program. And so one of the things that, that we think is very important, not only to get people downtown and know about the city, but to also realize that one of the very, now we have wonderful film and art, but we also have great jazz. Mm. And uh, uh, we're producing uh great stars. One of the performers that's going to be on the first one, Ashton Moore, is a graduate student who started out here. And uh, Rodney Whitaker says that he's got the voice. He's going to be with Count Basie one of these days. And he's right now just ready to finish his graduate work. And uh, and then for the interludes, we do have uh, two two groups uh, um, that have played in the past. Uh, Lynn Brunwald, she's a great uh, alto saxophonist. And then, and then the great vocalist Raquel Whitaker. So there'll be two groups that are playing on the interludes between the hmm. the sets. Wow, sounds like I mean you're really covering all the bases. It sounds like and, and giving Western a run for their money. Yeah. Um, other question for you. Uh, you mentioned the other uh, arts festivals that are, that go on throughout the year. What is your impression of the the art community in East Lansing in general? I mean, do you feel there's room for improvement? Are you is. impressed with it? I'm always amazed when I hear about the attendance and what they sell, like in the arts. I mean, uh, uh, um, what did she say, $5 million or something? It was just an incredible, just the the, the, the art festival. Uh, People come they from all compete, over the country they compete for to a whole year. sell their People art. send their work in. And it's juried art. Really? Mm-hmm. So that's marvelous. And, we, and I say our we film festival. We have a huge film festival attendance yeah. that attracts people from all over. I hear a lot of great things about the film festival yeah. as well. Yeah. And then the, the folk festival that follows, uh, you know, originally it was uh, uh, a, a national a gr- grant. A national grant that's mm-hmm. given out for a period of three years to uh, various competitors. So we, we were lucky to get it. And then at the end of that time, the hope is that you'll be able to get the funds for it and continue it. Sure. 
And we've done it. Actually, it's even increased. Uh, uh, the city and sponsors and the MSU library sponsor. The MSU Museum. The, oh, wow. Uh, the museum, excuse museum. me. Museum. And as a matter of fact, right now we're getting a new museum. I mean, it's, right, it's yeah. part of the same development mm -hmm. that led to the development of the Folk Festival is also the development of, of the new museum. Oh, our, our logo Kurt, for Kurt our city Dewhurst. is... Professor Kurt Dewhurst is oh. the head of both of those things. We are city of the arts, and, and it's common. It's just everywhere. There's art everywhere, including at the Hanna Community Center. We have an art gallery now, mm -hmm. a city art gallery. Sounds like it's 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 growing. I mean, with every year, the the attendance and the and the amount of projects. The summer solstice festival is the kickoff for the whole summer of music that mm -hmm. happens downtown East Lansing, mm -hmm. because every Friday and Saturday night there's there are live bands that entertain from about seven thirty to nine, right in downtown East Lansing, and so we'll be in the. Um, the parking lot number one. It's it's a parking lot under a very large tent, and they provide chairs. But um, come if you want to uh, bring um, lawn chairs. That's that's a way to uh, change your seating or sit back farther or, or to guarantee a seat. You sure. should bring your own seat and guarantee your own comfort as well. I'm sure. Yeah. And, <laughs> and there'll be there'll be a lot of food down there. Uh, four or five different ethnic food vendors will be. Um, One of the providing state, dinner. state sponsor is the new uh, Dublin Square Irish Pub. That came oh, in. right, yeah. They just they can actually look right yeah. across the street and see it. And so, uh, oh, perfect. And uh, we have beggars bank. We have five or six groups that bring food. And uh, you'll be able to sit out at tables outside and eat um, right behind Beggar's Banquet. Oh, that'd be That'll great. be a nice uh, dinner venue and listen to the jazz. Sure. We'd like to mention our Gold Note sponsors. Mm -hmm. They are Lexus of Lansing, Liquid Web, TechSmith, and WKAR Radio and TV. So we have um, MCs from WKAR. On Friday night, Dan Bayer will be hosting the jazz festival, and on Saturday night, Doug Collar. Um, he's had a jazz festival. He's had a jazz program Friday night and Saturday night now for about thirty years. Oh wow! So he's he's pretty experienced. Yeah, I mean, that. most yeah. a lot of the performers that play here and so on really got interested in jazz originally from listening to Doug Collar's. Jazz for many program. years, Doug Collar's jazz Friday night jazz was the only jazz you could really hear around East Lansing, yeah. and now there's more. Wow, so it sounds like the community is really taking hold of this then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and are you getting, as you mentioned, the, your, your sponsors, are you getting a lot more support from the East Lansing community or MSU? or? Well, it's, it's in association with Wharton Center as well as the MSU uh, College of Music, which is a brand-new college instead mm -hmm. of a school of music. Uh, and the City of East Lansing Arts Commission is the other main sponsor. So the Merchants Association does help with some sponsorship, and then individual uh, merchants Marriott, sponsor Marriott hotel helps providing mm -hmm. rooms for some yeah of we'd the like to thank Marriott Hotel certainly and uh, but it's it's harder and harder to get money and we we've lost our state funding oh. um, so we're looking now more for private the funding the Michigan you know that, Council the for the they, Arts they they said they were canceling all of it but they're going to give some now so we're well as the back. state becomes more financially solvent they're going to give more money to the arts but sure. right now they're they're hurting. 
We can certainly hope that things will improve for you then. Definitely. Yeah, and the high, you know, you know, some of the new high tech like Liquid Web and and TechSmith, they've the really computer been really helpful. Technical corporations have been really helpful. Oh, so that you're seeing the private sector step up. Yes, where the state has has, has pulled back a bit. So it's going to be a wonderful two days of all kinds of jazz and for the whole family. That sounds great. All I mean, ages. And and you've seen the 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 attendance grow every year. Yes. Is that right? Yes. What, I mean, what do you what do you attribute that to? The word of People mouth, start or? to know every year to look for the summer solstice. They know it's somewhere around the longest day of the year. Oh, okay. So a lot of the students who are here for the summer come down. Families come down. Babies are there. Uh, seniors are there, and everybody's having a great time. The weather forecast is looking really good too. It's going to be warm. So um, we only had one rain. All it'll be years. a nice, that's, yeah, uh, that's good luck. Yeah. Nice warm night to come and and listen to jazz, um, which is the only true American music tradition that we have. Absolutely. And as you mentioned, we have such a variety of music. Where there are a lot of people who come specifically for particular groups. Oh, excellent! And so uh, a lot of the dancers follow a couple of the bands and like to dance to to their music. And then some of the people who really just like. Uh, straight ahead jazz are big followers of the MSU professors of jazz. I believe it. Yeah, you know anyone who's in the, the school, I'm sure, wants to come see their their professors. You know, yeah. perform too. It's, that sounds like mm-hmm. a great draw. Well, um, I want to thank you both for being here. This is uh, the Impact Exposure. Uh, my name is Wes, and we're going to take a quick break uh, before we go. However, I just want to let you make sure you know the Summer Solstice Jazz Festival is uh, Friday, June 15th, and Saturday, June 16th, from 4:30 p.m. until 10:30 p.m. It's uh, all oh. into the big tent in downtown East Lansing on the corner of Al- uh, Albert Avenue and Abbott Road. So thanks again for uh, you both being here. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. And now we're now for a quick break. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact. At the football game, Jim shows the telltale signs of being wasted. He starts flexing for the camera. He refers to his muscles as gunboats. He screams, how's this for a halftime show? Jim streaks the field. It's easy to tell if you've had way too many to drive. But what if you've had just one too many to drive? Never underestimate just a few. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, the Ad Council, and this station. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Sunday nights, check out Sit or Spin from 8 to 10 p.m., where you can voice your opinion on what new music we play here on The Impact. Only on Impact Primetime. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9, The Impact. Phone lines are open at 432-3893. And now, back to Exposure. So. All right, and uh, this is the Impact Exposure, 88.9 FM. I want to thank you for returning. Uh, my guests right now are uh, from the MSU School of Journalism. Uh, uh, we got Darcy Green here, a professor with the school, uh, Jane Briggs-Bunting, the uh, director of the program. And I'm sorry I did not catch your name before we came back from the break. Katie Rausch. Katie Rausch, thank you for, for uh, joining us, all of you. Uh, we're here to discuss the, uh, the the grant the school just received, the digital media grant. Uh, could you just tell us a little bit about what that was all about? Okay, it's an incubator project. We partnered with six other colleges and universities from across this nation, and 
we're, there were more than 1,600 applicants for this grant, and 25 were awarded, and we were one of them. Hmm. And what it is is set, developing, creating, and testing some original ideas that are going to transform news to communities. And it's going to be a, a replicative process. So whatever product we come up with, hopefully we'll be able to be adapted by news media across the country. And it will be good, you know, relatively inexpensive and effective. And it's using this what's called a creation nets project. And what creation nets are, many participants participants are innovating in a parallel situation and simultaneously are pursuing a variety of approaches. And hopefully yeah, at the end, what shakes out will be something that's workable, cool, neat, and different. So this is an academic program developing for the private sector then? No, it's going to be, well, it's it's going to be developing for the news media. It's part of the, because it's a night grant, it's going to, everything is going to be open source, so anyone will have access to it, any media company. Oh, excellent. And uh, you, you mentioned that it's uh, students and, and academic groups from across the country, is that right? There are seven universities involved, including okay. MSU. Okay, and where are they all coming from? Is it just in, in this region? No, across the country. Oh, wow. We've, uh, Vermont, uh, New York. Kentucky, Kansas, uh, and not Nevada. Now, and from what I understand, the the different schools all just uh, met over in Ithaca in New York. Is that yes, right? They they spent quite a weekend in Ithaca <laughs> for Katie and uh, for Darcy. Yeah, you folks went too. Is that right? I got to go and got kind to... of observe. I was the videographer. Oh, very nice. So how how did it go? How did, how did everything work out? Talk to them. Well, we met on um, the faculty arrived on, on Wednesday night and had meetings all day on Thursday. Mm-hmm. And to prepare for the students and get a better understanding ourselves just what was going on. Students came in on Thursday night, and then we had programming all day Friday, Saturday, and, and left on Sunday. And what is the, what did the program involve? Is it uh, brainstorming? or? Well, the programming started off with some team building. Uh, as Jane mentioned, there are seven schools, but three of them are working together as uh, the, seven schools, seven teams. Mm. Three of the schools are working together um, as a unified group, but the other four schools are all switching uh, and mixing the teams. So on my team, uh, Katie's on that with um, two from Ithaca College and two from St. Michael's in Vermont. Oh, okay. But our first exercise was team building. We went to a ropes course. What's that? What's a ropes course? Ropes course is an environment where there's different challenges out in nature. Okay. And um, Sounds sort of like an obstacle course. Caterpillars. A lot of caterpillars. <laughs> Gypsy moth caterpillars. Yeah. Want to tell, tell them some of the challenges we had? Oh, well, I mean, on the ropes course, it's it's mostly team building stuff. You, you know, do obstacles. And they all, of course, have to, you have to work together to overcome whatever it is. Oh, okay. Um, so it's pretty, I mean, it's pretty standard stuff. It's a lot of fun, though. And, and did it strengthen your team, do you feel? Oh, yeah. Well, actually, I mean, I thought kind of like there were a lot of very, a lot of team building exercises over the weekend. And then at the time, I was like, you know team building exercises but actually i mean i walked away from it feeling like i knew the people in my group like or i had known them for a very long time mm. which it clearly was not the case i just met them like that sure. weekend right right wow that's uh sounds like a pretty intensive program then yeah i mean the this weekend was kind of like the kickoff we're meeting each other and just getting mm. getting the ball rolling we're gonna meet back in august okay um and in the meantime we're gonna work on ideas and uh part and put together our group's proposal for what we would like our new media to be. Now, are you at liberty to discuss what your project is so far, or is it still? We haven't even started. Wrap? Okay, okay. <laughs> we we start. Um, we're actually going to start this week. We have uh, by we have weekly meetings like two or three times a week. Um, we're going to use Skype, I think, and maybe Second Life to you know just oh, wow. meet across with uh, people across the country and talk about and develop our ideas, and then hopefully by August we'll have you know a good 
cohesive project to present to everybody. And then all of the groups are going to vote on what projects go on to be reworked and kind of remeshed so that we can present them in October, I believe, Mm -hmm. to the, is it the online Online news association? Yep, to the online news association. And from there, whichever one, you know, what they like will be implemented or, you know, not depending on, hopefully. Right, right. Right. The plan is, is the three final projects will be um, pitched to some news executives who will be attending this meeting. And then we either the, the directors will find partners for these projects to develop, or the Knight Foundation will help us with that. I see. And then, well. do the it's, it's something of a competition? Then is that how it's structured? Yes and no. It's not okay. intended to be. It's not really a competition because everybody wins. The whole idea mm-hmm. is to come up with some innovative new ideas for news delivery mm-hmm. in a variety of packages. In fact, in one of the exercises that. Um, the, one of the prep exercises was to develop a new, you know, just some sort of new travel product that was kind of just a, a warm-up to give the, the students a feel for the process it was going to be, and they came up with great ideas. Hmm. Now, is this the first time this sort of program has, has been put together, or is it? This There was a pilot program at this at Ithaca College in New York last year, hmm. and then the dean there is a friend of mine, and so she wanted me to get involved when this grant opportunity came up, and then we got the others involved as well. I see. And then out of the pilot program from the year before, were there any uh, technologies that were developed that have been implemented? Actually, this was pitched to AI. AOL. And oh. AOL is implementing two of the ideas the students came up with. Really? Do you, do you happen to know what those are? Well, yeah. one of them was interesting. It was a travel product for um, empty nesters. Oh, um, okay. And the idea there was that they had um, some free time now. And they may or may not be very technology savvy. Um, and they could go to a website and there'd be um, a variety of photographs the beach, the mountains, the casinos, you know, whatever. And all they need to do is drag the picture of where they say, oh, I'd like to go to the beach, drag it onto the platform, mm-hmm. and then all the um, travel packages related to beaches would show oh, up. All their options for travel. Right. So oh, they may not know they want to go to the beach. I mean, they just go look at the pictures and say, oh. Sure. And jogs your memory, something you might want to go do. Exactly. Interesting. So that was the idea, and they said AOL's looking at that. Wow. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Developing it. Really? Mm-hmm. So they're really putting it into the process then. Um, well, now, it's, it, the, the reason behind the grant, I'm assuming, is, is the, the, the new technologies that are developing and, and what this means for journalism. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how the, the world journalism is changing from uh, these new technologies? Journalism is in warp drive. Really? And going into space that we don't know where it's going or how it's going. There's been more, ch- I think there's been more fundamental change in journalism in the last 10 years than there has been in the prior you know, since actually some Gutenberg invented movable type. Wow. It's that dramatic a change. Platforms are changing. Um, the dead tree, the legacy newspaper concept is changing dramatically. Um, people of a certain age will always want paper. Um, your generation and even younger will not. In fact, when we were doing the Second Life, a lot of the college kids were not really into Second Life, but as Katie mentioned, her little sister is big time <laughs> into Second Life. Wow. You know, it's something I'd never heard of till I got involved in this project. Sure. So it's, you know, where the industry's going, we don't know. We do know that um, a lot of papers are getting sold. You know, major chains no longer exist like Knight Ritter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the important thing is, the, the critical thing is, is we have to save journalism because the watchdog role of journalism is something that's essential to a free democracy. Certainly. And so we have to figure out a way in this, this new, brave new world where journalism fits to make sure it is because a lot of people – personalize so much on the internet that they only want to know what they choose to know. Hmm. And unfortunately, there's a lot of stuff that you need to know. 
Certainly. So we have to figure out how to get through that barrier. That, that sort of reaffirming your own worldview sort of look? Is that what yes. you mean? Yeah. You know, it's like I'm only listening to him because that's who I agree. But also if you look at the history of journalism back at the beginning of the 20th century, all the newspapers had political agendas. There was the mm-hmm. Republican paper, the Democratic paper, the Libertarian paper. And in some ways, we're going back to that right now. So you see a return to, to the way it's a return to, to the future. <laughs> back to the future again. Now, in, in your personal opinion, do you think that's uh, necessarily a plus or is it? Objectivity evolved in the 1930s and 40s, mm-hmm. um, I think, but I think that served journalism very well. Okay. And we and need to do that. So what uh, – you mentioned the change from, from – uh, from all these digital uh, technologies, what specifically do you see spurring this on? It's more than just the existence of the Internet, I'm assuming. Actually, it, it is the Internet because all of a, all of a sudden news, news media organizations are no longer the gatekeepers. Anybody can be a reporter. So who a reporter is is now totally ill-defined. And journalism is no longer the gatekeeper. gatekeeper. People are finding out what's going on and want to participate and want to build their own papers. Anybody can be, you know, put up a website and call it a news site now. Anybody can blog. Mm-hmm. Um, anybody can put their two cents out there, and it doesn't cost a pile of money to have a press and a paper and right. ink or a broadcast station. And now uh, <clears throat> you mentioned bloggers. I've noticed that mm-hmm. newspapers are having their own bloggers, which I'm sure legitimizes that. Um, Let's hope. Yeah. <laughs> if they're doing a good job. But yeah. are, what, what else are newspapers doing in order to stay relevant? Actually, we had a conference on campus a week and a half ago, June 1st, for the Ameri- with partnering with the American Press Institute and Michigan Press Association on Newspaper Next. And the idea is where can newspapers go? If you look at circulation figures, we might have 30% of our market would be our penetration. That leaves 70% that are completely without touch with a newspaper. Hmm. So the idea is behind it is to try to find out what else newspapers can provide that would attract some of those people back to the core. Hmm. Now, you personally have a history with, with newspapers as a reporter? Yes. I used uh, to work for the Detroit Free Press. Do you, I mean, do you feel that you're, you're getting more news online than you used to uh, from print? I, I know that Professor Gilbert, also in the program, has made that comment too. So I think there's a lot more available online. I and mean, the beauty of it is, is your sources don't go home at 5 o'clock. You can get so much oh. information now that you couldn't before. So it's, it's, it, it's easier to get new information for both consumer and producer then? Yes, but there's also an overwhelming amount of it that's hitting us like um, perhaps the cicadas this year, mm. just jumping all over us. Um, let's see. My next question for you. Uh, what with with this program getting back to to the grant? What what pro, what problems do you see uh, students trying to address that, that digital media is is creating? Well, the, the the role of it is for news community. They have to develop a product for news for the community. Mm-hmm. And what that there's no boundaries here, no parameters, no sky's the limit. Then huh? well, it this, has to be practical. This, I mean, this entire grant is to kind of help out newspapers in a way and get news to people in new ways, in different ways, so that it stays relevant and that, you know, newspapers on who are moving more and more to being online can have, you know, a new tool, a new way to disseminate information, mm-hmm. and hopefully, you know, the continuation of newspapers, you know, through projects like these. Certainly. Well, where, where do you personally, I mean, maybe it's too soon to tell me, where do you guys see newspapers in five or ten years? Is that a big question? Uh, <laughs> it's not just newspapers. I okay. mean, circulation has gone, certainly dropping in news organizations. Uh, viewership is dropping in both commercial and cable news. Um, a lot of this radio's down. It's, mm-hmm. A lot of it's morphing onto the Internet, and it's just you know, a question of developing, figuring out what, where the industry's going, and, the, and nobody knows is where it, it's going to end up. Is but it, I think, oh, well, sorry. I think um, we keep saying the Internet, but pushing it further down to the handhelds. Oh. Having information over your phone, cell phone, your PDAs, your GPSs, mm-hmm. and to combine those, 
the uh, product that um, when we did the student exercise at the workshop on uh, the travel pro project just this time, the, um, there were quite a few different ones. Most of them were all internet-based, internet but the one that won um, the competition, which wasn't really a competition, but the, right. the, the idea that people thought was the strongest mm -hmm. was actually a translator over your cell phone. Oh, so if yeah. you were to go to a foreign country and need to ask a question, you could uh, uh, say it in English into your cell phone, and the cell phone would speak it back on speakerphone, or you could hand it to the person who you're asking the question wow. to and get the response. Yeah, not knowing a lick of the language uh, <laughs> while traveling, I can definitely appreciate that. Um, and even better with that yeah. was that when you got your response, the phone would translate it back to you. Oh, perfect. Yeah, because without that, it you know, wouldn't be much good. Yeah, what a clever idea, though. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Whole, and that's it. The platforms are changing so much. We have no idea. The iPhone's coming out at the end of the week, supposedly. Mm -hmm. Who knows what's next? I mean, in five years, Steve Jobs is going to come up with some great ideas, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, everything he comes out with, you know, that's people great. clamor for it. I believe it. Uh, do you see that? Do you see new, uh, the the more classic news organizations, ABC and New York Times? Do you see them being the the new, the, the the big news producers in the future with handhelds, with internet, things like that? Or is it? Do you see a, a new crop of organizations we haven't even seen yet? That's an interesting um, question because that's unknown. I think the big yeah. boys will stay around. Online, I mean, New York Times, Washington Post, ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox—they all come to online news association because we're all in this together. Mm -hmm. But I do think there's going to be so-called disruptive innovators out there. And they're the, you know, we're, we're kind of flatlined in, in news right now, and these people are going to be the ones who are reshaping it, and this is exactly what this project is about. I see. You know, people like Katie are going to be reshaping. And uh, the concept of the creation net, to get back to what Jane mentioned earlier, is the m a model that we're using for uh, this innovative project. Now, what, what, could you explain a little bit about that model? The creation net, um, and feel free to chime in. The creation net is um, it's called open innovation, and there's um, subgroups all around the uh, the community that are working on ideas, and they share them. Hmm. And so, um, part of the model says in a in a time of stability, uh, knowledge is very valuable, and people don't share. Oh. But in times of instability, then uh, there's um, um, a need to, to, for change, and then people um, do start to share more. Hmm. And so we're, we're at a time when there, things are un unstable in terms sure. of uh, you know, what's going to happen to the news. And so there's this um, impetus to start sharing. I'm sure there's an element of survival in there for, for the news producers to yeah. stay relevant. And to go back to your earlier question about the big boys, yeah. Um, it's the uh, f the fringe innovators that have less to lose. Mm. You know, the uh, established places will hold on to, stabi to stability as long as they can. Sure. But the uh, the fringe elements, they have nothing to lose, and, and so they're going game, to suppose, yeah. to uh, you know uh, work towards ideas hmm. um, more rapidly. Interesting. Yeah. Well, it's going to be. It is a brave new world, like you said. It's it's going to be really interesting to see what what's coming down the pike. Um, as far as this grant goes, what, what does this mean for, for the School of Journalism? It positions us uh, on the national field as a leader in this area, mm -hmm. um, in, in the digital revolution and, and in reinventing news. Um, and it sounds like you're, you're working on that with, with the project, certainly. Yeah, um, we certainly are. But it also, because this is a very competitive grant process, and for us to end up 
was one of the you know the winners of you know, one of the twenty five group of winners of the grant was just um, a stellar opportunity for us, and I'm appreciative that we got included into this process. Yeah, I believe it. I mean, it's a large sum. I'm sure there's plenty you can you can do with that. Uh, do you have any anything earmarked as far as uh, additions for the School of Journalism? Or? Oh, no, it, there's actually there's no profit to the School of Journalism. Literally, oh. all of it's going to go into expenses. Oh, you know, okay. <laughs> I just paid my visa bill, and I'm waiting to get reimbursed from the grant for oh. for all of our travel. For the, for the last weekend? Yeah, for the yeah. last weekend. Bills come faster than reimbursement checks. Hopefully your bill's not bigger than the grant itself. No, not yet. <laughs> but, you know, there's, it's it's going to be tight. But I, the advantage, I mean, I think the, our five students who are participating are going to get a, a great experience. Um, and also, you know, what's the next step beyond that? You know, the hope is is that the Knight Foundation will think what we've come up with is good enough that we can replicate this process at other universities across the country mm-hmm. because really the new ideas are going to come from your generation and younger. Certainly. Well, what, what skills would you like to see uh, students of the School of Journalism graduating from MSU? What would you like to see them leave with? You have to be adaptable, flexible, entrepreneurial, and you need skills in video, audio, photo, text, and also be darn good, accurate, fast, deadline reporters. So the classics and uh, jack-of-all-trades? Yes. Wow. Sounds like a full plate, though. I think our students can handle it. What do you think, Katie? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, you think about, you know, like what we were required to know when I came to college three years ago and what we're required to know now, you know, as as people who are leaving and going out into the real world, it's amazing, like, how much more. Mm -hmm. It's how much more you have to know in order to get a job and how much this the whole industry has changed in this short period of time that I've been in school. I believe it. Yeah. And I think that, you know, this grant is part of, you know, helping prepare us to get to get there. <laughs> Certainly. Well, now you, you're going to be a senior this coming uh, mm-hmm. academic year. What have you get, what have you gotten out of the program so far? What have you learned that you didn't? Well, I mean, you know, it just you? it's it's just started. But I think that uh, that hopefully what I'm going to get out of it is uh, is the ability to is the ability to be all the things that Jane just said, you know, hopefully more adaptable, um, better suited to work in an environment that, you know, requires you to know multimedia, um, that requires you to be able to to come up with ideas, to still to be competitive, even in your own even within your own office. So you're more, not just not competition within other or with, with other organizations, but within the people that you're working with. Oh, definitely. Wow. Definitely a full plate. Well, you know, um, the only guarantee in journalism that we can give our graduates is it's going to be changing. Mm-hmm. And they're going to have to be able to keep up with it. So the only constant is constant change. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, until we get into that stable period again, sure, sure. we're not there now. Yeah, it doesn't no sound like it's near. anywhere near in near future either. Well, um, I want to thank you all for coming in today. Uh, this is the Impact Exposure. My name is Wes. Uh, my guests today were all from the journalism school here at MSU, talking about uh, the new grant for digital media. And uh, we're going to take a quick break here, and we'll be back with a representative from the MSU Bike Project. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact. For some high school students, school can be a dangerous place. A lot of gamers look at you as a gang member, too. For some, just being in school can be a struggle. I wouldn't go to school. I didn't care about what my mom said. My mom would tell me, like, what are you doing for yourself? You're not doing nothing. But despite all the obstacles, inside every high school student is a graduate. People look down on you if you don't have a diploma. I want to graduate because they say I won't. Go to BoostUp.org and find out how you can help a friend, a son, a daughter finish high school. BoostUp.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Army and the Ad Council. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. 
Tuesday nights from 8 until midnight, the Impact's Progressive Torch and Twang brings you the best in alternative country and grassroots music. Only on Impact Prime Time. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9, The Impact. Phone lines are open at 432-3893. And now, back to Exposure. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9, The Impact. Attention shoppers, if anyone is missing a rather plump set of love handles, please come to the customer service counter and claim them. The ample love handles were lost in the produce department where their former owner had purchased fruits and veggies to munch on during the big game. Thank you and have a good day. Small step number 81, snack on fruits and veggies. It's just one of the many small steps you can take to get healthy. Learn more at www.smallstep.gov. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Saturday nights from 8 p.m. until 2 a.m., tune into the cultural vibe to hear the best in both local and national hip-hop, plus live mixing on the ones and twos. Only on Impact Primetime. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9, The Impact. Phone lines are open at 432-3893. And right. now, back to Exposure. All right, thanks for joining us. Uh, th- my name is Wes. This is the Impact Exposure. I am here with uh, Matt Jaglowski. Is that correct? That's correct. All right, from uh, the MSU Bike Project. Uh, if you could give me a quick uh, synopsis of what the uh, bike project's all about. Um, well, basically, I joined the project about a year ago as uh, the head mechanic. Um, and basically, the shop went uh, from, basically, we were working out of the basement of Dem Hall, um, servicing bikes that were abandoned or donated, uh, fixing them up. We painted them green, put on a sticker, and we uh, leased them out to students for for a nominal fee. And um, it's since grown. Um, we're now a full-service center. Uh, we're located in the, the basement of the auditorium in Bessie Hall, um, so it's the North Shore of the River Trail there. Um, and we have a full-service center. Um, we still are leasing out the green bikes. We sell used bikes. We sell accessories, um, and we give a lot of good advice. I believe it sounds like it's a pretty full service uh, shop. Yep, it's. Uh, I mean, it's on the scale of any bike shop you'd go to in town. Yeah. Uh, what uh, What sort of services does the uh, bike shop provide? Um, we do a lot of like on the spot stuff, uh, flat tire repair, uh, quick adjustments for people who are just trying to get back on the road, um, and we do. Uh, up to full overhauls um, with we clean clean parts up we restore restore bikes um, mm-hmm. pretty much anything you could think of and now mo- you said most of them are, are reclaimed from just folks who just abandoned them or is that right um the bike project bikes the green bikes are um, okay. some of the bikes we sell used are of that variety um, some are donations um, some are bikes that the university has owned and are retiring okay and now, the, why why the green bikes? Is it uh, environmental? Is it the is it the school? Um, it's sustainability. Okay. Um, ultimately, the goal is to reduce the number of bikes that students abandon on campus. Um, besides environmental reasons, uh, there's there's aesthetic reasons. It's obviously not too attractive to have uh, parents coming through to tour campus and have racks and racks of bo- broken down bikes sure. with flat tires and tacoed wheels. <laughs> Well, I'm sure with all the construction going on right now, a bike is a mighty handy thing to have. Um, 
so the, the program started in 2003, is that right? That's right. Okay, now how, how has it changed since it began? Was it, you said it, it grew as an operation. Was there... Yep, it was originally volunteer-based, uh, mostly mostly cycling club members um, working uh, with the university staff. Um, they have, you know, any, like a normal club, they've got their advisor, um, and there was other volunteers from some of the departments fixing up bikes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was all donation-based. The university provided the space for them. Um, but now we're basically have grown to the point where the university recognizes that this is something that students can utilize. It's you know, incredibly important, especially on a campus this size that sure. people can, you know, get around campus. Um, so <clears throat> basically they've put the money into it and, um, we're, we're now operating and, uh, have nothing but good comments from well, people. Sounds like you're getting a lot of, uh, a lot of positive feedback, a lot of, uh, a lot of folks coming into the shop. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, it's mostly positive. Um, it's surprising how many people still don't know about us, but, um, we're, I mean, we're not, None of us are here to make money off of it. We're just trying to help people out and get them back on the road. Sure. Um, and, I mean, the full-time staff is all avid cycling enthusiasts. We all do it for recreation. A lot of us commute most of the year on bikes. Mm-hmm. It's just something we all love. Um, so, we've, you know, we like sharing that experience. We like sharing our advice and, you know, letting other people know what, what the best way to go is if they're facing a problem. Hmm. So it's a pretty tight community then, as far as the bike uh, bike project and the, and the cycling community on campus. Yeah, um, and local cycling too. Um, there's other shops nearby that are pretty new as well. Evergreen Cycle and uh, Revolution Cycle just opened hmm. up within the last year, and um, we've been pretty tight knit with them as well. So they provide more sales, and you guys do a little more repair. Or how does uh, how does um, the cooperation work? Well, Evergreen does a lot of the service, um, and he does sell accessories and uh, other such things. And Revolution's a little bit bigger of a shop. He does does uh, full service, and they sell sell bikes as well, new bikes. Um, and you know, if we're in a bind. We usually try to help each other out. Mm-hmm. So. That's good. So yeah, that's more of the, that tight community. I'm assuming. Right. Um, well, now you mentioned that it is it is it volunteer run completely? No, the the green bikes are still prepared by volunteers, mm-hmm. um, but the the service center itself is all all paid staff. Mm-hmm. Um, Full timers are all qualified and have industry experience. The student employees are people who are very mechanically inclined and are learning quickly. Okay, so, so. the volunteers are, are they are they students? Are they? Um, folks from the area? Uh, some of them are students. Some of them are MSU faculty and staff. Oh, okay. And then, what are the benefits for for volunteers? Um, they can they basically earn time to work on their own bikes in the shop. Oh, okay. Um, and there's you know obviously they're helping the community and sure, anything sure. else. A volunteer Just whatever gets else out comes along the way. All right, excellent. Uh, well, now where does the where does a project like this find support? You mentioned that the the university is is funding it. Does it? I mean, is there are there other specific sources of of support? Um, not that I'm aware of for our specific example. There's uh, a lot of other universities found uh, student co-ops that that run their own shops based on donations and um, you know community. You know, it's all volunteer support. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as our operation goes, now we're entirely we're almost self-sufficient, but we're university supported. Okay. Now, just from a personal note, I've been recommended the bike shop just because it's the the prices are really affordable. Uh, I mean, how how does the how does the the bike shop keep that that going well i mean obviously we're going to sustain ourselves with our our service um and you know we we operate on margins that are you know they're going to keep us in business but nothing mm-hmm. that you know we're not like i said before we're not trying to make money here so we're just just trying to help people out and we're 
operating like any government or NPO organization would. Sure, just for the good of the community. Huh? Yep, that's not yeah, nothing wrong with that. Um, well, now does the does the bike project sponsor any kind of events in the area? Um, we did a few events recently. Um, the May is uh, Bicycle Month or Bicycle Advocacy Month. Oh. Um, so there's uh, Ride Your Bike to Work Day that we kind of just you know inform people about. But we did um, we did a Ride of Silence, um, which is I'm thinking the 16th. I forget. Okay. Um, but basically, uh, we had a parade which was police escorted, and it's in memory of cyclists who have been killed or injured by motorists oh. uh, commuting. Um, we had a pretty good turnout for that. Um, we ran the uh, MSU Farm Days Tour, which is on uh, May 19th this year. We had about 100 cyclists show up, and basically they they run uh, pre, pre-arranged routes. They have full support vehicles, so if there's breakdowns on the road, we can pick them up and drive them to, uh, to the service station. We had uh, six, or I'm sorry, four service locations um, where we had tools ready, um, and we had beverages, fruit, uh, cookies for the cyclists to ride, and then everybody that rode the tour got a free meal when they got back and got some ice cream at the dairy store. So we had about 100 people show up for that. Um, we have hosted uh, area bike patrol officers. Um, there's a training day on campus here. Um, so we were able to host uh, about 20 officers um, for about 45-minute session. We did a little bit of uh, emergency roadside repair training um, and showed some, some advanced cycling techniques. Um, and then on uh, May 30th, we did uh, Lucienda Means Advocacy Day. Um, we were mostly supported by the League of Michigan Cyclists, which mm-hmm. is uh, the offices in downtown Lansing. Um, and basically it was a short 20-mile tour, and then there was a parade of, I think, about 100 people or so showed up for that, um, and they rode down to the Capitol and uh, spoke with some, some senators and uh, state representatives for the day. What were they speaking with them about? Was there specific issues? Um, mostly just cyclist rights in general. Um, there's uh, a lot of people run into issues commuting with motorists not not yielding the right of way oh, right. in the appropriate cases, and, and I've been run off the road myself. It's not sure. a fun not a fun thing. Um, and cars can be big and scary. They they can go a lot faster than a bike, a lot easier, and they're a lot heavier. So sure. it's it's uh, definitely a a point of interest to a lot of people who, you know, make it part of their lifestyle, their mm-hmm. commute daily. And now, as far as uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure these folks are, are riding in the bike lanes and everything. Do you think? Do you feel that there are enough bike lanes uh, on campus and in East Lansing? Um, I know the university is doing a lot to to improve uh, improve cycling on campus. Um, it seems that every new road that's going and it's getting a bike lane, oh. so it's definitely improving. Um, and within the the Lansing community, it's it's definitely you know it's on the up and up. There's it's not always easy in mm-hmm. the summer when there's a lot of construction. Sometimes it's hard to find a detour, but for the most part, it's it's uh, definitely getting better. So you see, I mean, you see room for improvement, but as it is right now. Yeah, I mean, there's always. I mean, unless everybody was on a bike, I don't think it'd be a, a perfect world to commute in, but. Sure. But it's definitely getting better. And now you mentioned the the, the ride for silence. Is it ride for silence? Is that correct? Ride of silence. Ride of silence. Excuse me. Uh, w- are there other advocacy programs that the bike project has been involved with? Um, we've been involved in some, but not uh, not a lot of 
uh, projects that we've directly supported. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of people who who are customers or or you know cycling club members or whatever it may be that that are uh, involved in other advocacy things and they communicate at the shop. We've got a we've got a shop uh, bulletin board where you can you know post rides or post you know information or gatherings. So we definitely try to support people, but we don't. We're not always directly advocating it. It takes a lot of time up, and we try to, you know, try to focus it when we can. But sure. are there specific issues that they seem more, more passionate about? Um, we try to f- cover about about as much as we can, as far as what the general concerns are mm-hmm. of cyclists. But but it's I'd say it's pretty even. Okay. Now, uh, what what do you see coming up for the bike shop? Anything? Um, any, any events that are being sponsored, or uh... um, not so much for the rest of the summer. We're we're kind of uh, kind of slowing down from the the rush of people all getting their bikes out sure. in the summer, um, and we're trying to get ready for the fall when all the students come back. Now, what kind of preparations need to be made for that? Um, we're trying to prepare used bikes, um, any of the impounded bikes. We're trying to get green bikes ready, and we're trying to clean up the shop. Hopefully, we're going to have our student mechanics come back a little early so we can get them right. get them refreshed and get them ready to go. Sure. Uh, what? So you mentioned refurbishing bikes and then for sale with the, within the, the bike shop. Uh, what what sort of prices can people expect if they come by looking for a bike? Um, we're pretty reasonable. Um, we we're probably no more than you would pay at a department store um, for for a new bike. Um, but we usually try to we don't sell bikes that we don't think are going to only last about a year, which is sadly the case for some of them sure. um it's a large contributor to the abandoned bikes is just because some of them just don't last and they're not worth it for the student to to take off and take home mm-hmm. um but we're we're pretty close to what they would sell a new bike for um and our bikes come with all our services guaranteed for 30 days and mm-hmm. all our all our bikes that we sell use we guarantee for 30 days um we you know with proper maintenance any any you know nicer quality bike should last several years mm-hmm. um and they they can go up i mean we've had we've had nicer bikes sell for about what you would pay for a used bike at a bike shop um but we're moderately priced excellent well now uh you mentioned the sustainability uh when when the bike shop receives a, a bike that's in pretty rough shape can't be can't be used for about another year what what happens to it then um, well, we usually try to get the parts off of it or whatever, you know, whatever's still usable, we try to take off. Um, a lot of times bikes like you're describing are older bikes that nobody manufactures parts for anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely, you know, advantageous for us to keep the parts on hand. Sure. Um, and we're, you know, everything in the campus is kind of tied together. So if we have, um, if we've got anything that we can't use, we try to recycle what we can. We've got a nice size metal recycling bin where we recycle, you know, bent wheels and frames and any anything else that's not usable. So we try to recycle everything that we can, cardboard, plastic, whatever. Does that get recycled here on campus? Do you have a partnership with someone else elsewhere? Or? It's mostly done with the... Um, it's it's all campus run. I believe it's the uh, surplus that runs the metal recycling, oh. um, and I, I'm not entirely sure if they do the rest of it, but okay. it's all campus supported. So you just take what you can get from them and recycle the rest on campus. That's even more even more sustainability. It sounds like. Yep. That's great. Um, well, what else? Uh, what else can you tell us about the bike shop? I mean, what's what's personally? What's your favorite uh, thing about working there? It's something I love to do anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I uh, I like riding 
a lot myself. Yeah. I mean, it's I commute because I enjoy it. I mean, there's several several reasons that I do it, but it, it's uh, you know working working at the shop has allowed me opportunity to learn a lot about about cycling, a lot about maintenance. Um, a, I'd like to think a pretty respectable mechanic when I started, but um, a lot of you know I I feel that I've you know, contributed a lot to the success of the shop. Um, I mean, I hope my coworkers feel the same way. Sure. Um, but it's, you know, it's something that I can look forward to in the day. I don't dread going into my job. <laughs> um, and it's, it's nice because, you know, I, I can start, start my day and I can start a project where I'm working on somebody's bike who's, you know, they're frustrated because they've, they've got this nice bike. They haven't been able to ride it and they can bring it into us. And, you know, I can work my magic for an hour, hour and a mm -hmm. half, two hours, whatever it takes. And, you know, when I'm done, I can test ride the bike and say, you know, this person's going to be happy. They've got a, you know, a good working bike. And sure. it's, it's definitely satisfying to see a customer come back and, you know, see a smile on their face or, you know, have a, a good positive mention about, you know, being able to get on their bike again. Sounds like a good reason to come into work every day. Yep. Yeah. Now, what 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 do you think that people who come to the bike project, what, what do they get out of it? Like, I mean, other than just a, a fixed bike. Well, I mean, a lot of uh, a lot of our customers, especially over the summer, are international students, and it's you know it's it's a big campus. It's easy to get lost yeah. on, and you know, providing them with green bikes is providing them with means to get around. And and if you know, a lot of them obviously aren't bringing cars with them, so it provides them a means to you know go up to Grand River and get something to eat, go down to the mall if you know they want to get really adventurous, or just you know have a way to exercise or relieve some stress. Absolutely. Well, now, uh, are you looking for more? volunteers is that uh... um we're always looking for volunteers at the demonstration hall shop okay. um even if you don't know what you're doing you can show up and there's a, a lot of good good uh mechanics who can show you the ropes and uh you know get you on your way so um, anyone can come by and, and learn how huh? yeah anybody who wants to volunteer Excellent. and um and any skilled mechanics we're def we're always looking for more mechanics <laughs> at the shop we're pretty pretty buried in bikes right now so Sounds like business is good. Business is good. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, so if someone's interested in volunteering, what what do you recommend that they do? Just come on by. Um, yeah the the volunteer shop is still open uh, Tuesday and Thursday nights from five thirty to seven thirty, and uh, if they're really interested, they can just show up and talk to the uh, the other volunteers, and they can get them started. Okay, and where are you folks located, and uh, when are you open? Um, the service center is located in uh, the basement of Bessie Hall. We're not, we don't have a normal or a internal building entrance. We have our own entrance on the outside. Um, and we're the double doors at the bottom of the big stairs, and it's on the north side of the, uh, the river, um, right by the canoe docks. Um, and we're open, currently we're open uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday from 1 to 5, Wednesdays from 1 to 7, and then Friday we're open from 10 to 3 with an hour off for lunch. Um, and pretty soon, uh, probably starting in July, we're going to hopefully be open for full days. Excellent. All right. Well, I appreciate you coming in. Uh, my guest today has been uh, Matt Jiglowski from the MSU Bike Project. Uh, we're just about to wrap things up here on the Impact Exposure. My name is Wes. I appreciate you tuning in, and uh, we'll be back uh, next time. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to this evening's Exposure, only on 88.9 The Impact.